For the last four weeks, we've been drilling down into a part of a letter that one of the early church heavyweights, a guy named Paul, wrote to one of his young protégés, a young guy named Timothy. And I'm going to read the section from that letter that we've been drilling into. Paul wrote this to Timothy, said, God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought his life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am, because Paul was writing this from a prison cell. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. What you've heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. There is so much meat in just that little, and that's just an excerpt from this letter that Paul wrote to this protege of his named Timothy. Four weeks ago, we looked at one part of that where Paul said, I know whom I have believed. The idea of salvation, that Christianity is not a system of beliefs. It's a belief and a, and a faith and a willingness to follow a person, the person of Jesus. And as we do that, the Bible word is saved, that we're saved from a life separated from God and united and restored to a relationship with God. The second week, we pulled out a little bit of that letter where Paul said, God has saved us and called us to a holy life. He hasn't just saved us from a, relationship, from a life out of relationship with God. He's restored us to a relationship with God and then called us to live a holy life in relationship with God. The churchy word is sanctification. The following week, we drilled into a little bit where Paul wrote, God is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. The word sovereignty is the word which translates God is in control. And we looked at the idea that God is especially in control when we're out of control, but it's only going to work if we let him take control. So these are all on our podcast. You can listen to that last week. Last week was a real bestseller. We talked about suffering. Of this gospel, I was appointed an apostle and a herald and a teacher. And that's why I'm suffering as I am. Paul was in prison because he'd been out preaching about Jesus. And now he was in prison he, and he started writing. He'd, be, he'd become crit, criticized. This guy, Paul, you know, he's not as big as he looks on TV. Well, that's not what they said then, but they said words to that effect. This guy, Paul, I, everyone says about his faith, and yet it seems to me that, that, that God, you know, hasn't called him because he's in prison. God's lost his number. And Paul went, went to town on those critics and said, hey, you know what? I'm going to show you that God's called me. And Paul started writing out all these things that had gone bad in his life. I've been shipwrecked. I've been whipped. I've been bashed. I've been stoned. I've been nearly uh, uh, starved to death. And it's like, why would you write that on your resume? But he wrote that on his resume because he, remind, he was trying to remind people that, that, that called people, people who are called by God, are chased by the devil. And the devil tries to wound us. And when he wounds us, 
God comes in and heals the wounds. But he heals the wounds. And it sometimes leaves a scar. But the devil, he intended those scars to be a mark of shame. And God intends for them to be a badge of honor. That I'm called. Because I'm called, the devil came after me. And you know what? Me and God, we won. And I got the scars to prove it. They're a badge of honor. You want to see if I'm cold? I'll show you how cold I am. Let's have a scar measuring competition. Awesome. If you weren't here last week and you've got some scars, listen to that message. You'll help you understand why. Ready to be stretched some more this morning? Okay. Well, Paul wrote this to Timothy in that same little excerpt. What you heard from me as the pattern Keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Question, how many of you are learners? You consider yourself learners. All right, cool, cool. How many of you used to beat up the people that just put their hand when you were in school? Good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could have guessed that one, Albany boy. You know, for me, I'm a learner. I have an insatiable curiosity. My motto is I learn, I win. If I know more than you, I can take you down in anything. So I go after stuff. You know, years ago, Louie and I went to Italy. Most of her family still live in Italy. We went to Italy, visited family. And I started, I didn't speak a word of Italian, you know. So every, every, every meal, which was like a lot of meals, uh, we were there for a month. I'm just, I was just a spectator, you know. Like I might as well have gone there with my Maxwell Smart cone of silence because I didn't understand a word that was going on and I couldn't speak a word. And it was, uh, woo, it was a very long month. Um, I'm like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to learn Italian. I'm going to teach myself Italian. And so I got busy teaching myself Italian. And three years later, I was in Italy preaching at churches and, and doing leadership conferences in Italian because I'd learned how to speak Italian. Taught myself. Yeah, I know. There you go. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it, I say. Uh, but I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying to compare that, that sometimes, and maybe some of you have been taught, that the more facts you know about God, the closer to him you are. Has anyone ever sort of been taught that or circled around that kind of idea? The more facts you know about God, the closer to him we are. Knowing more about someone is good, but it doesn't automatically correlate with being in a deeper relationship with them. Two weeks ago, Louis and I were at home and watching MasterChef. And MasterChef this particular evening, they broke up into their two teams, the red team, the blue team. And, uh, and, and what those two teams had to compete for was to cater for a, a 60th wedding anniversary for this, this couple in Melbourne. And uh, they were kind of before the show, you know, the beginning of the package of the show, the, the two teams met the, the, the people who'd been married for 60 years. And part of the challenge was the teams each had to prepare a, a wedding cake or a sort of, you know, 60th anniversary cake for the couple. And so they asked the couple, what's your favorite cake? You know, you've been married for 60 years. We're going to do something special for you today. What's your favorite cake? And so the wife answered, what's her favorite cake? And then the wife answered for the husband. That was no surprise. She told the contestants, what's his favorite cake? And so uh, Mrs. Bugalugs here leans over to me and says, baby, I want you um, to make me uh, a, a cake on our 60th wedding anniversary uh, and, uh, but do you know what my favorite cake is? And I'm like, huh? I ain't got a clue. 
And uh, she got like all, you know, upset. And she started posting derisive status updates on Facebook about the fact that I didn't know what her favorite cake was. And I'm like, I said, honey, we've been married 17 years. I got 43 more years to figure out what your favorite cake is before I need to bake it for your 60th birthday. So like, you know. And all of you guys that actually weighed in on her derisive comments on Facebook, don't think I didn't look. I know where you live. And I recommend you sleep with one eye open. That's all I'm saying. No, Baden just took a guess and he knew that the consequences of getting it wrong weren't as high as the consequences of me getting it wrong. The more we, in facts we know about God doesn't automatically translate to us having a greater relationship with him. Jesus himself made this very clear. He went up to a group of religious leaders in his day and he said this to them. You have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there. But you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am standing right before you and you aren't willing to receive from me the life that you say you want. Now, listen closely. Knowledge of God is vital. Okay? I shared with our team members this morning when we prayed for you that it's God's job to decide if he's willing. It's our job to discover if he's able. If you don't know if God's able, you're not, you're not going to pray prayers asking him to do stuff that you hope he's willing to do. So knowledge is vital, but knowledge is, is merely a first step. I'm thankful that following Jesus is, is an open book exam. If you don't know about God, open your Bible. It's an open book exam. And we get to learn more about stuff he's able to do and pray in the hope that he's willing. But knowledge is only the first step. It's only the first step. Now, <laughs> something that kind of puzzles me is, is some people don't even take the first step. They, they say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus and then don't read the Bible. Don't find out about him. I want to follow him, but I don't have a clue who he is. We don't follow strangers. We're taught not to follow strangers when we're kids. Some of those people, it seems to me that they put their hand up and say, it's not that I want to follow Jesus. It's I want Jesus to follow me. I want him to learn more about me. I want him to meet all of my needs. I want him to, you know, achieve my will. Jesus saying, hello, didn't, didn't you make the decision to follow me? If you want to follow me, you probably should find out some stuff about who I am. Because then if you don't know who I am, how are you going to be able to follow me? You don't know what my voice sounds like. You don't know what my character is. You don't know what I'm able to do. So we've got to take the step of knowledge, of learning about Jesus. But it's only the first step. We need to take a next step. So what's the next step? I'll come to that. Paul wrote, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Even in that little itty bitty sentence, there is so much treasure that we can dig for. And I'm going to do that in the time we've got this morning. Notice at the beginning of that sentence, Paul said, what you've heard from me. The question that I ask and encourage you to ask yourself regularly is who are you listening to? Who are the key voices in your life? Who are the key influencers in your life? Paul said, what you've heard from me. You know, Timothy, you've heard lots of things from lots of other people, but, but hey, 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 hey. I want you to focus on what you've heard from me. We talked about this in our Elevate group this week. 
about the importance of who we listen to and who, whose volume we, we turn down or perhaps even turn off. I get a simple formula for who we should listen to. And this is my formula. Key influences and the right influences should have proximity and credibility. The mistake too many people make is just tick the proximity box and we listen to the people closest to us, regardless of whether or not they have credibility. We listen to family members because they have proximity. We listen to colleagues because they have proximity. But if those people don't have credibility and you're listening to them, you will never fulfill the purposes of God because you'd be too busy being influenced and led by the wrong influences. Our influences need to have proximity and credibility. And they might not just be physically proximal. These days with our access to media, these can be people who are influencing us because they have proximity in our world, even though they physically live in another place. We've elevated in our society, in our culture, we've elevated people who have experienced 15 minutes of fame. And we've turned the lights down on people who have lived a lifetime of faithfulness. And I can tell you who I'm going to listen to, who have the credibility. And in fact, if you don't have people in your life who have that credibility, make it your job to get close to them. You solve the proximity part of the equation. Listen to the right podcasts. Read from the right website. Watch the right television programs. Start to build some right friendships. Our Elevate group is a classic example of that. The reason we were talking about that in our Elevate group is because we're building Proximity. So what's credibility? What does that look like? Well, Paul, he just wrote that very, very clearly to Timothy. Credibility is someone who's living the pattern of sound biblical teaching. Paul wrote, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Teaching is super important. We take it very, very seriously. We slice our live experience in half and spend at least half of our gathering here teaching. Teaching is very, very important. I do most of the teaching. I don't do it all. We have a team, Louie and Pete. We have some guests come in occasionally. The bottom line measure for us of whether the teaching was effective is the question, was it helpful? Because you're going to go to work tomorrow and you're going to want to have learned something here, I hope, that you can put into practice. You're going to go home this afternoon with your spouse and hopefully put some stuff into practice. You're going to be parenting your children this week and put some stuff into practice. So the stuff we teach, we, our, our, our bullseye is to, is to answer the question, was it helpful? Now, we use some tools, you know. Our code is we, we take God very seriously. We don't take ourselves very seriously. So we like to have a bit of fun and, 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 and along the way. We like to tell stories and include stories in the mix. Uh, we like to include the Bible. That was a joke. We, we make sure that the Bible is the actual bullseye that we use for everything we teach. This isn't a Dr. Phil seminar. This is Jesus, God's word. But we use them 
in, in a, in, to be engaging. And it's, it's critical to be engaging. You know, I have a thing that I think that, that preaching God's word in a, in a non-engaging way should be punishable uh, by death, really. It's that serious. Um, Louis, a few years ago, was teaching Italian at a, at a school in uh, Mount Lawley. And uh, she had uh, a little boy in her class, primary school. She had a little boy in her class named Kwa. And uh, Kwa is the son of some Vietnamese uh, migrants. And he had a, had a, a little bit of a, a learning uh, difficulty. So Louis would be teaching, and this would be true of any teacher in that particular classroom, teaching. And um, if things started to go a little bit uh, off boil, Kwa would yell out, Boring! <laughs> And I think choir should be in the front row of every single church on the planet. Really. But the goal isn't entertainment. The goal is, was it helpful? But here's the deal. My job communicating is to communicate stuff that's helpful. And then it's on you. It's all on you. I'm done. 11.15, I'm done. I've done my bit right? It's all on you. See, we start our life and we finish our life with somebody spoon feeding us and wiping our bum. But if we spend the middle bit needing the same things, then probably something's wrong. And too many people leave churches saying, I wasn't being fed. I wasn't being fed. Well, flip and feed yourself. Still living your life in the middle bit, hoping that everyone else is going to come and clean up your mess, wipe your bum. Our code here as Elevate Church is we pursue growth and learning. And I've highlighted these two words very intentionally. We don't just pursue learning. You can know a whole lot of facts about God and not be growing any closer to God. This is not an internet exam. It's an open book exam, but it's an exam where we're not just meant to learn stuff. We're meant to grow. We're meant to actually be falling more in love with God, knowing more about him, but not just knowledge. We need to take our faith and move it from just knowledge to application. Paul said, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. So you can learn all there is to know about managing your finances. But if you go from here and, and, and continually spend more than you earn, the knowledge doesn't work. You can read all the Bible has to say about forgiveness. But if you don't go out of here and start forgiving some people who have hurt you, you're never going to be released of your bitterness. The stuff don't work until we apply it. Paul said, what you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Final point, I want to I I put this out. And, and look, I, I'm kind of drilling a lot into this this morning. I'm doing this very intentionally because, you know, this is like 30 minutes. I get 30 minutes. Good thing is these messages go onto the interwebs, the woo-woo-woo. You don't even have to type woo-woo-woo into the search engine these days to find elevatechurch.me. 
Don't listen to Pete because he goes, it's www.elevatechurch.me. No, it's three W's, Buffhead. But, um, but you don't have to even put the W's in. Go from here, elevatechurch.me. Get the podcast. Listen to this again. But here's the final point I'm going to make this morning. What you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love. We need faith and love if we're going to live the pattern of sound teaching because it's flipping hard. Because so much of what Jesus teaches us is countercultural to the world we live in today. And it's easier to swim downstream or float downstream than it is to swim upstream. Culture's pattern tells us that relationships are commodities. You can upgrade, you can downgrade, you can dispose, you can recycle. Jesus says, here's how I want you to do your relationships. Love one another as I loved you. No greater love has a person than they lay down their life for the other person. These aren't commodities. These are the most precious treasures. We watched, we bought a zoo last night and they asked the question, these two, uh, what's her name? Um, Scarlett, your hands on me. And, uh, and the young bird sitting on a park bench watching Matt Damon and his uh, fake family interact. And um, Louise, <laughs> were you crying? Yeah, you probably were. Of course you were, sorry. Redundant question in our household. Um, and, uh, and they said to each other, which would you prefer if you had to choose, people or animals? And you went, <laughs> me too. It was beautiful. Um, the answer was people, by the way. Correct answer was people. Um, culture's pattern says, earn as much as you can, spend as much as you can, hoard as many possessions as you can. Jesus says, don't hoard treasures down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Instead, stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. Obvious, isn't it? That's what he said. We need faith to be able to keep the pattern of sound teaching. Some of you I challenged earlier talked about the idea that, that we, at a point in our lives, have the opportunity to make a decision to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And uh, I know most of you have made that decision at some point in your life. I made that decision when I was 21. It's possible some of you have not made that decision. And we take a moment every week to give you an opportunity, to give people an opportunity to make that decision, to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to put my life in your hands. I want to put my trust in your hands. I want you to actually take control of my life. And if you've never done that, if you've never made that decision, right now, we're going to give you that opportunity. And all I want you to do is just to put your hand up. You're not really saying, Mark, I'm making that decision. You're actually saying, Jesus, I'm making that decision. Jesus, I'm making the decision to follow you today to put my life, to put my trust in your hands. If you've never made that decision, put your hand up now. When I see your hand, you can put it down, and then we're going to pray. If you've never put your hand up, you've never made that decision before, now's your opportunity, now's your moment. I don't want to miss anyone. For those of you that have never made that decision, make that decision this morning. It's my strongest encouragement, strongest challenge to you, and then we're going to pray.